As you know, this year at, in October, with the lead-in to Halloween, we're taking a different approach. A lot of times as churches, we say, we don't want to talk about that spooky stuff. We're talking about it all month. We're talking about what are you afraid of? And that's our sermon series. And we looked at three things, including today. We looked at the fear of darkness. And we all have some semblance of that. And we looked at the fear of the demonic or all the, the spirit world, the unknown. And today, we're going to look at a fear that uh, we all have. And it's the fear of death. And of course, we're reminded of that every time we walk uh, or drive down the street and see a house decorated for Halloween that has skeletons and spider webs and gravestones and all those other symbols of death. It's, it's, a, it's a time for us to think about that reality. And you know, the phrase fear of death, as far as I can tell from uh, my studies, only found one place in the Bible, and I'd like to read that text to you. There's a lot about fear, and there's a lot about death. But the passage I want to share with you is Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, that is, we are God's children, and we share flesh and blood, he himself, God's son coming into the world, shared the same things, so that through death, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and that he might free those who all their lives were held in slavery, by the fear of death. The fear of death. I think we all fear death. But we don't all have slavery to that fear. Without hope in the Lord, the fear of death becomes our slave master. Everything we do in life, there's somebody who can whisper in our ear and say, but you're going to die. The fear of death becomes a slave master. But for those of us who are believers, our experience is different. Now I am, all right, I'm going to say it. I'm old. All right. I'm 85 years old, as a matter of fact. Thank the Lord, a healthy 85 years old, which... By his grace, I thank him. But I do think about death. And I imagine what death will be like. And if you have a little dizzy spell, you young 55-year-olds, you might just say, oh, uh, what's going on? I need to take a pill. I need a little rest. I might think, maybe I'm dying. And that thought is something we should deal with and feel and express and react to. I know Christians, as a rule, have much in the Bible to appeal to, many promises to turn to. 
to reassure us that there is something beyond death and that it is in God's hand and he is taking care of that reality for us. I believe all religions have as some part of them an explanation of life beyond this life or of what happens beyond death because every person has a fear of death. I've uh, thought for a long time that atheists and agnostics have a fear of death. Uh, the difference between an atheist and an agnostic is an atheist says there is no God and an agnostic says, I don't know. But most atheists are reacting against religion because who can really say for sure there is no God? So I got curious and I, I thought, what, what do atheists really think about this subject? How do they handle the fear of death? And went online and, and just did a search and found there's a whole bunch of podcasts about atheists speaking to the fear of death. And they're not speaking evangelistically. That is, they're not trying to convert us. They're trying to reassure one another. And, and I found a very interesting site, which I listened to. It was entitled, Grief Without Belief. How to Deal with Death as an Atheist. And these two people reacted. And it was really very interesting. Basically, they say, we're honest. Death is the final and permanent ending of our existence. You Christians are not honest. You kid yourself, you're narcissistic because you believe that an afterlife is centered around you. We look death straight in the eye. They have a lot more trouble talking about losing a loved one, that aspect of death. And it was very interesting to hear in a give and take talk show format a man saying, my daughter is with me, she's six years old, and her uncle has just been given a bad diagnosis with terminal cancer, and I want to know how we should talk to her about it. And so they interacted with him. The little girl is listening, and after they had talked about it for quite a while, they said, well, what does, ask your daughter, what is she afraid of? And uh, they asked her, what she was afraid of, and the father said, she's afraid of being dead and being nothing. It's not of hell or something bad happening. It's just being nothing. Others in these tapes showed a whole lot of anger about how they'd been misused by religion. Christian experience, some Christians pretend they have no fear of death, and I doubt that because we all have some fear of that which we have never experienced. Some anxiety about the unknown. And you may have memorized all the Bible processes, uh, all the Bible promises, but you still have some kind of gnawing question, feeling, what will it be like? The fear is there, but the slavery to fear does not have to be there. Now, I want to tell you a story about me which may be a little different. So buckle your seatbelts. I grew up in a Christian family, and I have 
the heritage of belief that I share with many of you. On top of that, I did a lot of thinking as a young person. So on top of the heritage of faith, there's my own journey in thinking what does it mean. And in my journey, I became very interested in science. First, a kid in nature, to butterfly collections, hiking, identifying plants and bird sounds and all of that, and then majoring in biology, and then a lifelong fascination. But I can remember reading a book by a person who was not a believer, but was a scientist who saw something bigger in the, what science was teaching. And he talked about how life, and he always capitalized it, L-I-F-E, life as an entity. I found myself putting the word God in there, but life is the way he saw it. And life was a force in nature, and it embraced all of creation. And it helped him as a philosopher scientist to see the meaning of life through all of creation. I remember reading my, the story of the creation in Genesis, that humans were created from the dust of the ground. And then when in a secular college, I learned about evolution, and my friends told me that'll destroy your faith, I found that it built up my faith. I, anyone who wants to sit down with me, I'd be glad to talk this through. But I found myself connected with what God was doing in creation and the fossil record and all of the other wonderful things that are part of the journey of discovery of the history of life on earth. And then later years, that became reinforced by new knowledge, which wasn't even around when I went to college. Catherine Bassett sent me out of the blue not knowing what I was going to talk about, a wonderful video, which I'd be glad to share with any of you, uh, that talks about how DNA studies reinforce all of these things. And I'm gonna mention that in a second. But also, you know what we've learned about the universe we lived in? God of the galaxies? Well, on the, on the left, you see a picture of the Wonderful, a wonderful picture it was taken by the Hubble uh, telescope in 1995, and everybody was amazed at that. And that structure is, was, was given the name the Pillars of Creation. Why? Because scientists analyze that and see this as a structure out at the end of each of these, new stars are being formed. I said, are being formed, but that what we're seeing there is 7,000 light years away. That means the light from that that comes into the camera now is being looked at by us has been traveling for 7,000 years. So that's how far back this was. Now we're seeing it. Oh my, mind is so stretched. Now the picture on the right is a picture from the brand new web telescope. Look at how much more detail there is. How many more galaxies, stars there are beyond. When we say he is the God of the universe, 
This is the universe we're talking about. For many Christians, this kind of talk is, is distressing and threatening. And for me, it's a real turn on. It just fits in with what I feel God has always been saying to me about his creation. How many of you have heard of DNA? Hands down. How many of you know what DNA is? Yeah, not so many. How many of you know what the letters DNA stand for? <laughs> Three, four people, wow. Okay. A human genome, DNA is a, a description of a piece of a, of a human cell. So in my body, every cell of my body, every cell of my body has these strands, human genomes, and they have these connections on this human gen genome. And you know how many connections there are? Three billion on one genome in every cell of my body. And those connections are what makes me who I am, gives me the lovely hair that I have. My head's upside down, but every, every cell of my body has these, these genomes strips of DNA, and they're passed on to my children and so forth. Well, you know what? Every living thing has DNA. And the code on them is a little different in each case. But the amazing thing is that my DNA, that like 99% of my DMA is the same as Judy's. She's different from me because of that little, well, it's 99.9% .9 about, but that little bit. And, and you know what? A chimpanzee has 99% as me. Okay, you look at our genomes and boom, 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 boom. Oh, there's a difference out of the three billion, okay? And in each cell of my body, these things exist. And they exist in each cell of the chimpanzee. And if you go down and look at my insect friends, insects and I have DNA. And 60% of an insect's DNA is like mine. Do you know what? I share 50% of the DNA of a banana. Oh. <laughs> uh, to me, uh, to me, this is awesome. This is, this is. This is my connection of, with God's creation. And people around here, I'm, I have a legend for defending ants. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not so much, people come in here and they go panicky because the ants are crawling around. And they start spraying and stamping. And I say, leave Teddy alone. So my aunt friend, I've named Theodore because he reminds me of TED Talks, that's all. Although I know that all worker ants are female, I got that. But that, that ant, that little ant that's walking across my desk, his DNA has the history of his species. My DNA has the history of my species. 
and all living things are connected in that way. Now, where is this guy going with this stuff? I, frankly, this really means a lot to me as I face death. I, I don't know. I may be totally out on a planet somewhere. But the universal connection with God's life means something to me about the afterlife. Maybe when I die, <clears throat> I'll open my eyes and see the pearly gates and streets of gold and heavenly mansions, just as the symbols in the Bible describe things. But maybe I'll open my eyes and see a new creation that I've never dreamed of. Or I may be part of that new creation. I may emerge into whatever God has destined for humanity. I think that's a bigger view of the afterlife to me. Maybe I'll wake up and see that. Maybe I won't wake up. Maybe the atheists are right, but I won't care then. Am I weird? Let me share a passage of scripture with you. And I'm going to just give you a few ideas about this. Romans chapter 8. Romans is different than all of Paul's letters, all the other letters, which are written to specific situations in specific churches. But Romans 8 is a, is a culmination of the, the whole overview of God's Human, God's creation, humanity, sin, redemption, and eternity. And in Romans 8, the culmination of all of this, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. Now we're gonna skip a couple of verses and go to verse nine, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Paul goes on to give the implications of that. But in this context, I'm gonna skip a few more verses and go down to verse 18. In this context, he says something really powerful, which most people skim right by, but my science bent has made me stop and look at this passage every time I read it. I consider that the sufferings, the pain, the agony, and even death itself, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation, not just me, not just humans, 
the creation waits with eager longing. The Phillips translation says, the whole creation stands on tiptoe. The creation waits with eager longing for the re revealing of the children of God, for the creation was subjected to futility. The futility of the death and life cycle of some species eating other species, of the, of the whole journey of life on earth, not just human life, that this whole process was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but the will of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay, will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, okay, so mark this. The whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope and so forth. Go down to verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our infirmities, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, right after that comes all the great, wonderful conclusion of this chapter. We know that, verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love God. All down to verse 31. I know I'm driving the video guy crazy. Verse 31. What then, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then who can separate us from the love of God? Who can condemn us? All of this wonderful, glorious promises are connected with the groanings. I'm going to go back to the groanings. Look. In there's a groaning, and it's creation's groaning. This is a wonderful thing about this passage. He connects all of creation. Creation's groaning, we read about in verse 22. We know the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together, the pains of labor. I'd like, I'd like you to look at creation this way sometime. You can see the wonder of it. I remember walking down the street uh, one time and just, it was just a beautiful, beautiful day. And I'm just glorying in everything. And then I saw something moving on the lawn across the street. And when I went and looked closer, a bird was killing another bird. It was killing it right in front of my, was, oh, nature's groaning. And then there's my groaning. And that's in Romans 8, 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly while we wait for the adoption, the re redemption of our bodies. Are you groaning today? I mean, things seem good, but there's that gnawing problem of the doctor 
and the diagnosis he gave you or the family you're praying about and they seem to be falling apart in their family relations. The groaning, my groaning, connects with creation's groaning, but look at verse 26, man. Likewise, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought to pray, but the very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Groaning, groaning, groaning. Creation's groaning. I'm groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning with creation and with me. All groaning in harmony. What's all this mean? Well, the word groaning is a really interesting word. It comes from a root that talks about being under pressure. It, 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 it means it's a root for the word narrow. In fact, when Jesus talked about walking in a straight and narrow way, that's the word that's used. This is groaning that comes from being in too tight a space. So I have a picture for you, but first I want to explain that, you know, skeletons are part of Halloween. You know what my skeleton, imagine me. That, that's my skeleton, a dog's skeleton, a mouse's skeleton. We all have this, what is called an endoskeleton. That means the skeleton's inside of us. But there are some animals that have an exoskeleton. The exoskeleton is on the outside of them, a lobster. In order to eat a lobster, you gotta break open his skeleton because his skeleton is his skin. And so the only way a lobster or a crab can grow is, well, here's a video that will show you how that happens. There are times, however, when an arthropod must leave its armor behind. In order to grow, it undergoes one of the most amazing transformations in the animal kingdom. First, the mounting pressures of its growing body crack open its exoskeleton. Beneath the shell, a soft new skeleton has been developing. In less than 30 minutes of struggling and squirming, this crab breaks free of its old skeleton, a process called molting. It emerges with an entirely new covering, from legs to body to eyes. Its soft new skeleton will inflate quickly to a larger shell and harden during the next two days. And then he can grow more until he has to get rid of his skeleton again. It's not so easy here because my skeleton's on the inside. But that process is, is kind of an analogy for me with to what death will look like if we can stand back and see it. Molting into the new reality of who we are. This groaning, I'm, I'm surprised I found it again in Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'd like to read this for 
we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be further clothed with our heavenly dwelling. For surely when we have been clothed in it, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed so that what is mortal, dead, may be swallowed up by life. I have fears about death, not terror, not horrors. I do have fears, but I have given them to God. And I claim the Psalm, Psalm 34. I have sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The cluster, death, sin, suffering, pain, groaning, it all brings fear. But by God's grace, when I come to that moment, when I'm being helped by him to get rid of my old shell, and when I get to that moment, I'm going to try to experience my fear as groaning toward my new self molting into my new role in God's creation drama, which I can't even imagine. This life has become too small and restricted, and I'm feeling squeezed. This week, two of our members went to be with the Lord, Maureen Georgettis, James Harris. It was hard to watch them go for family and friends, but what freedom, what fulfillment, what glory are they experiencing now? I don't know, but my imagination sees it as a glorious step above and beyond what we experience now. So I'm fortunate to have a close family around me, uh, church family and friends, who will be groaning with me when I go and maybe you'll remind me of this, encourage me, uh, but even better, when I'm groaning through the death experience toward whatever, God's creation will be groaning with me, as Paul said, and the Holy Spirit will be groaning within me in harmony into the new phase of God's creation. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for words of comfort and words of challenge and, and, and words of creative hope. We pray that our, our views of what you're doing in our lives may be brightened and encouraged and, and dramatized. Our pain and suffering is not incidental and it's not absurd. It is part of reality is part of what you're doing and accomplishing and we thank you for it so take us lord just as we are and make of us what you have destined us to be 
We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.